Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is the phenomenal Woody Dancer, a former Clemson football player whose list of accomplishments never ends from being a dual threat quarterback sensation to earning all ACC honors. Woody's on-field prowess is undeniable, but that's not all. He's also a record breaker, setting multiple school and NCAA records. Join us today as we explore the incredible journey and accomplishments of Woody Dancer. We appreciate you. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you reaching out. How are we? We're good. We're good. Good. Good to hear. Thanks again for having me on your platform, man. I'm looking forward to some interesting conversation. Of course. Um, so first, I, I, what really initially brought you to the game of football, more specifically to the quarterback position, considering how special an athlete you were? Uh, so that's a pretty easy answer on both ends. One, I was introduced to football by my father. He asked me one day if I wanted to play, and the answer was yes. Um, actually, the first sport I got into was martial arts. But then from there, he asked me one day if I wanted to play. I said yes, and that's where it started. And then the transition to quarterback happened. Essentially, it was in Little League. I could always throw the ball far, but when I got to middle school is when we actually had – I was actually playing the quarterback position. My middle school coach had me play QB in his – from there on, that's where I've been until I made it into the league. Very nice. Uh, do you, do you, well, I guess this, I was going to ask if you think martial arts kind of helped your, your football um, experience, but it sounds like you were just a kid when that happened. No, 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 no. It actually did tremendously because I'm um, even still to this day, I'm a very high energy individual. So martial arts was the thing that taught me discipline, was my first introduction to true discipline, you know, outside of my parents, how to channel my energy, how to control it, and then also how to control my body. Balance and body control, that taught me a lot, which transitioned very well in football. So yeah, martial arts got me started with my, helped me develop my athletic abilities. And it just permeated into my football career. Awesome. Do you think that gave you sort of like a sixth sense in the pocket, kind of knowing somebody's going to hit you and you know what to do and, and how to kind of get away from that? You know what? I never considered that, but um, maybe I used to always tell, kind of joke around that every now and then if I'm sitting in the pocket, maybe it was just the, the they call it the clock, the clock going off but I would feel like my back was getting hot and it was like it was time to move. So maybe that was my spidey senses tingling brought on by uh, martial arts, you know, so being aware. So, yeah, I, I might, I might contribute to that. I never considered that. Um. So before you came up to Clemson, your father told you, Hey, don't go up there just to be a football player, kind of embedded yourself in the Clemson community. And this, you know, Clemson now gets a rap for having great culture, but it sounds like that was um, kind of started in your era. Like, just welcoming yourself to the Clemson community. Kind of talk about how you uh, tried to further your father's message through Clemson. Well, the thing with that was it was just a matter of having an identity outside of football. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of those major debates that's happening now because you look at a lot of just professional athletes in general. When they're finished with their respective sports a lot of time they go into a state of depression because they don't know what else to do they've been playing this sport for so long and their identity is wrapped up in the sport that they play so again they go into that state of depression start having some mental hit 
mental um, issues. So I, I don't know, my dad in his early wisdom probably saw that. And that's why he said, go up there, experience the culture. Don't be just a football player. So that pushed me and it encouraged me to not just exist in the world of football, but also even though my degree wasn't in biology, exist in that biology world, get over there and meet some different people because coming from a predominantly black community, you know, we joked around, I went to Arnold Wilkinson High School, which stood for one white. So to go from that community to Clemson University where the dynamic shift, it was a great opportunity to grow. It's a great opportunity to meet people. And it's a great opportunity to develop. And he made sure I took full advantage of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so how do you think your um, experiences at Clemson, both like obviously on the field and then being in that community that you really just described, helped you uh, become kind of who you are today and also become a better player on the field? Well, one, it taught me to be okay with who I am. And I don't have to change um, who I am at my core to fit into anyone else's, uh, I guess, bubble. So that was a good, they taught me to be a couple of myself and be able, it showed me how to interact with different people from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different experiences, different cultures. So that's one of the big things that happened to me. And, you know, that allowed me to be able to pretty much deal with, work with, get along with anyone. And that definitely translated onto the, the football field because, yes, we spoke that one language called football. However, we still were different nationalities. We were from different cultures, different parts of the country, different upbringings, different experiences. However, we learned through that common language of football how to work one with another to achieve, to achieve a common goal. So that's how all that, in my opinion, came together. And I'm so much better for it. That's awesome. Um, well, speaking of just who you are as a person, during your college career, you were widely regarded as a Heisman Trophy favorite at one point. Can you describe on how it felt to be the spotlight of the nation uh, for such a prestigious award and how you manage those expectations and pressure? One thing I was always taught is uh, not to put too much emphasis on myself. But even if you look at that campaign, Originally, I don't like a lot of I don't like a lot of attention. I don't like being around a lot of people. Um, so to me, I was a little embarrassed by it. So because I feel like because I know it's not just me on that field. That's why if you look on that brochure and you see Team Dancer for Heisman, I told them that they could not promote me for the Heisman job unless they include my office lineman. So that's just the kind of guy I am. I'm always I'm the first one to take the blame, but I want to make sure I get the credit where credit is due. So for me, it was a team award. And even fast forward, we probably get to this, but I just remember um, the last game against Duke when I set the mark for 2000, 1000. Mm -hmm. And I was playing, but I wasn't, I mean, I, I guess I was trying to make sure everyone else, I was trying to manage the game. And I just, it's just vividly, Kyle Young, he was my center at the time. We actually came in together. He looked me in my eye. He said, I know what's going on. I see I see it in your eyes. He said, I understand what's going on. He said, but um, um, I know you're not a, a goal set guy. You're, you're not a selfish guy. But this this mark is not just about you. He said, record. He said, this record is not just about you. It's about for all of us. So what's going to happen? We're going to go out here and get this for you. He said, he, he made the statement, Will Maris standing right there, TJ Watkins right there. And they're like, we're going to go get this for you. 
So it's just one of those things of, man, I, I, I give my everything for those that are around me. And that's just a testament to that one. Like I said, but originally I was embarrassed, but it, for me, it's about the team, not just me. Cause I can't do it by myself. Do you think you see a lot of yourself um, and just kind of like your play style in Lamar Jackson? I know Manny and I were talking about this, how, you know, he's kind of that typical, you know, running back slash quarterback, but really the only guy in the NFL that's doing that these days. You know what? Just like I see myself in him, um, I could say the same for the guys that, you know, I grew up with. I saw my I, – I guess you could ask Warren Moon if he saw himself in me or Randall Cunningham, Tommy Frazier, Charlie Ward, those type guys. Uh, so, yeah, and that's with the evolution of the game because – you're sitting when we were on a cutting edge when I was in school. They still really didn't know what to do with us. You know, we were good for the college game, but we wouldn't make it in the pros because you had a, it was a certain prototype that we were looking for at a QB. But now with the evolution of the game, we've been able to show that the dual threat quarterback or the quarterback who can be a threat as a runner and a passer, you know, can be just as effective in the NFL game as they could in college. So, Long way to answer the question to say yes, but that's just how it works. You, know, you you see one person start the conversation, and then you see it trickle down through the generation to generation till finally that neck that that one generation actually gets to pop on the scene, and you see that with the likes of Lamar Jackson. Obviously, I mean, this is the most teed up question that all any of the three of us could ask you, but. <laughs> Would you say that you you are you were before your time before um you, what am I trying to say ahead of your time too early yeah you you said it perfectly you know how many times I get some people walk up to me and say man if you were playing in today's game yeah. you would be perfect you were just before your time and and I disagree and it goes back into what I was just saying each I'm a firm believer that each generation is setting the next generation up to go further. So I played not, and I always say this with a grain of salt because I'm no way trying to put myself on the levels, you know, of a Martin Luther King. But he sparked a movement to bring about equal rights, civil rights, justice. He never got to see it, but his actions, you know, pushed that into the forefront, along with so many others fought that fight. So the change in the narrative of the dual threat quarterback from, okay, you can only play in college and you got to move to another position or the athlete in, um, in, in the pros, it was a good, I was, I was proud to play my part in it, to be able to say, Hey, these um, get the narrative, continue that conversation. And again, these guys are now, reaping the benefits of, and I, again, not taking it all of my shoulders because it was guys before me, some people I, before I couldn't even I had people trying to move me in college. You know, I had offers from different universities that wanted to move me coming out of high school. So that whole thing of each generation, second generation go further is um, it's just the, the part that I was willing to play. And I'm happy to play it to see these guys thriving now in today's game. Speaking of the current state of football, obviously Heisman candidate, record breaker, you would have been a complete stud in the NIL would have made a boatload of money. Do you uh, enjoy the NIL and the transfer portal and that aspect of college football today? And do you think you would have succeeded like the rest of us think you would? 
<laughs> oh, you know what? That that whole I'm probably gonna get in trouble. Is I'm one of those things of I think I probably could have because I think about even I, I see a good friend of mine every now and then he'll post something right before the season starts. I got my Woody Dancer jersey on, or I'll run into someone and say, "Man, I, my my son, or I wore your jersey out. We still have it. I got the you know." So yeah, I think I would have done very well, especially looking around at some of these guys and the, the, the money that they're bringing in. Shoot, some of them making more than me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, but but yeah, it was it would have been an interesting to see, coulda woulda shouldas back then. But yeah, I think I would have I would have not gonna say I think I'm sure I would have done well. Would you say um a lot of people like we we've touched on Lamar a little bit. People bug him with uh running the ball too much. Did you ever get that from particular coaches or from the media in general? Like hey. Like you're a quarterback, you're supposed to stay in the pocket, especially back then. It's more widely acceptable, and they still get, you know, yelled at it for. So, did you ever have any struggles with that, where people were like, "Hey, this you're a quarterback, you need to sit in there and throw it." Did you ever? And how'd you deal with it, essentially? Um, didn't listen to them because yeah. a lot of people sit. Not that 2020 is is um, it's a hindsight is 2020. You can see it's easy to see when you're sitting at 20 foot view, are you watching the replay? Are you seeing it on the jumbotron? It's easy to say what you could have, should have, would have done, but it's a whole nother gamut to actually be in the heat of the moment and say you would make that same decision. Or if you would see well enough to make a decision, but that's why, you know, we get out there and we practice throughout the week. We watch game film, we study and we go over situations. And hopefully when we get in that moment, we're able to make the right decision. You know, sometimes sometimes it just happens to where, you know, when you've worked hard enough and you know the capabilities that you have, you got to get out there and make a play. And sometimes you got to learn how to play within the scheme that comes with maturity as a QB. But then also you got to know when to operate outside the scheme to make something happen. And you see that a lot. So now if, if I if someone was trying to say something like that, I never really heard it. They're, I wouldn't pay much attention to it anyway, because they're not my coach. They're not my teammates. So that's kind of where I leave that conversation. So I'm assuming you you had a great relationship and the Clemson Brotherhood when you were there was just as strong as it is now. You know what? Absolutely. Because that's what we look back on. And you ask most players about their college experience. You know, what was the thing you remembered the most? 9.5 times out of 10, that individual was going to tell you it was spending time with their teammates. Maybe not at the facility, maybe in the dining hall, maybe in their dorm or somewhere at a sitting point on campus. You know, that's what they remember. Building relationships, having fun, joking around, or just if they do mention the game, it's being in, being on that field of battle with your teammates. That's the stuff we remember. We, we can care less about stats. We can care less about all that other stuff that comes with it. Wins, losses, well, why they are important. But the thing that we remember and take to our grave is just those relationship and bonds that we build one with another. Do you have a favorite, like, never told story behind the scenes from your time at Clemson that you would be willing to share or that can be shared? <laughs> I don't know if it's never told. I told it. I've told it a couple times, but I don't know if it's a if it's a very widely known fact because, yeah, like I said, I've only told it a couple times. But it was it was the 2000 game against South Carolina. 
and I remember they were going on that last drive and it went down and it scored. And I just remember this overwhelming feeling that we were going to win. And I remember catching the eyes of my offensive linemen and, you know, my guy, Travis Zachary, he right there beside me. You know, we bumped fists. It's like we all knew what was about to happen. I guess they saw it in my eyes, which gave them comfort. So when we took the field, I mean, I don't, I didn't know how it was gonna happen, but I just knew, we, I just knew we were gonna win. So a couple plays here and there, and came down to, I think it was like a third down, threw the ball deep. You know, Rod makes the big catch, and I'll go ahead and say, yes, he pushed off. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and um get rid of that. But yes, he pushed off. But I always say, when I say yes, he pushed off, I also talk about the drive before that they went in to score. They called a, a false pass interference on Alex Ardley that it was on a fourth, third, that fourth down. If they wouldn't have got it, you know, we would have won anyway. So I think those two calls balanced themselves out. But the best part of the story is after that catch, you know, we, we get down there, we call timeout, we wait, we get the kicker on the field. As the kicker's walking on the field, I'm going to the locker room because, I t- like I told you, I already knew we were going to win. He was about to make the kick. I knew it was going to be pandemonium. People was going to rush the field. And like I said, I don't like being around a bunch of people like that. So I knew they were going to storm the field, so I was in the locker room. So when I'm in the shower, I heard the eruption. So by the time forever later they come off the field after the win, I'm dressed and I'm ready to go. So that's kind of, that's that story I like to tell a little bit that not a people not a lot of people know about because you you to think I would have been on the field celebrating, but I didn't want to be in all that. I don't know who's gonna win, so I went to the locker room and I was getting dressed. I respect that because I don't like a lot of people either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. So um you're still involved, as I read in with Clemson with the Paul Journey. Are there any athletes that you still mentor on the team today, or are there any athletes in the past that you've mentored that have really y'all still have a relationship with and that stuck out to you? Oh yeah, of course. I, I love that program with Paul Journey. It's called Tiger Hood, um, where former players mentor the current players. So yeah, there's a lot of guys I keep in contact with that I stay up with just to check in and talk through things. So yeah, I love that. I love pouring back into the next generation because I was taught early, and they say experience is the best teacher. But my dad taught me that experience is a good teacher. The best teaches other people's experiences. So if they can learn from me through my experience and go out to, and can take from that and be better men, I'm, I'm all for it. So, yeah, I totally enjoy that. Um, Can you kind of talk about the uh, role that your leadership as a, the quarterback of Clemson has really affected your life now and um, affected Clemson University? The thing about that quarterback position, what makes it so pivotal is the fact of you have to have that, I guess you got to have this little thing about you that want people to want to follow. And you gain that by showing that you're that person but it's a matter of, it's a, it's a knowledge thing. So I need to know, I need to understand and I need to be, need to be able to teach and all those things rolled in one. So I got to know and understand what the offensive linemen are doing. I got to know what running backs are doing. I got to know what, you know, my receivers are doing. Also, I got to know what's happening on the other side of the ball. So that ability to think through and critically think to come up with solutions and then perform under pressure, you know, all those things make a great leader. 
So it does, it translates in the game, but it also translates into life, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're, even if you, you're working as a manager at a fast food restaurant, you think about um, lunchtime when it's hectic and you got orders coming left and right and you got to make sure you got enough food and serving. I mean, it can come in and play at any point in your life, especially in your household, being a husband, being a father, you know, managing that house and taking care of all these different things that may come about. So what makes it so pivotal in it is it gives you practice at exercising those gifts of leadership. But the best way, uh, and I think it was, it was modeled by Jesus, the best, that servant leadership. You know, they will follow it. They know that you'll go. They don't, leaders don't only just show the way, but they show the way while they're going the way. So that's the that's the biggest thing that you, that I pull from that leadership position as a quarterback. And you say you can quarterback anything now, just like you quarterback in your podcast. So it's just all those traits come into play. That's awesome. Um, obviously, transitioning from college football to the NFL can be challenging for all players, but especially when you're switching positions. Did you know going in that you wouldn't be a quarterback in the NFL and when, when and if you found that out, uh, did that bother you or are you just excited to uh, get going at the next level? You know what? It was it was actually a shock to me. I had just gotten back from the East-West Shrine game and I was scheduled to play in the Senior Bowl. And I found out through a agent who was trying to recruit me to join their firm. He called me and said, I don't know if you noticed or not, but they got you on the senior bowl roster as a running back. I had no clue. The school didn't tell. I don't know if they told the school or not, but I found out through an outside agent who was trying to get me to sign with his firm that they had me at running back. So I had a decision to make. And at this particular point in time, I had previously had a stance coming out of high school that, which kind of helped me make my decision a lot too. Uh, we did out a lot of schools. Um, that I'm a quarterback. You're telling me I can't play quarterback, but I'm the one you tell me I can't do something. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to dedicate myself. And I'm going to prove you wrong. But at this stage in my life, when I found this out about the senior bowl, I was on a different path because, uh, just two years prior, I, I had really got to meet Jesus for real, and my life totally took a different turn. So now it was all about where he was leading me, and I felt that, you know, the change of position wasn't that big of a deal anymore. The, the ability to get into the National Football League where I can build a platform to where I can actually speak and, and share the gospel at another level, or you think about it, you know, Athletes, actors could have the ear of many people. So to get to that level gave me a platform. So at that moment, I wasn't concerned. Hey, I just made the switch. So I had a week to prepare, try to learn how to take a handoff and different things like that, learn how to try to catch kicks and punts. And it was an interest, interesting week. But I went to the Senior Bowl and did a good enough, a good enough job to get not selected, but called in as a free agent by the Cowboys. So. That's how that went. Do you, do you want to think? You, um, go ahead, I'm fine. My bad. I so said, do you think you could be a help to the Cowboys now with how you know they can't seem to get it done? <laughs> they need somebody to, you know, maybe they need a vet to come in. 
<laughs> no, nah, I think I think they I let them sort that out themselves. I'm my my place is over here in the upstate of South Carolina. That's that's why I'm making my impact. But I wouldn't mind. I keep saying I need to get back over there for a game and hang out. I was just talking with one of my uh, teammates earlier today via Facebook. He made a post, and uh, I was kind of chatting back and forth with him under that post. But yeah, I've been talking about having a reunion, but not going over there to help out. They got it handled. They, they get paid what they pay themselves to make those decisions. I don't, I don't need. They don't need my help. Um, will you just speak quickly about your legendary uh eighty-four yard return? That it's incredible that play. I showed my dad the other day. He was like, "Who? I mean, that is crazy." You want to just speak on uh on that specific play? That play was engineered. <laughs> right, it was crazy. But um, here's here's the kicker of the whole thing. I, I actually went the wrong way. <laughs> I know, but I'll say this: I knowingly went the wrong way because this was. I think it's probably. I think we were in the third quarter or early fourth quarter. And we were starting going back and forth. They remember they had just scored. Tio had just caught a touchdown and uh, put them back up. And so when they kicked the ball off, when I caught it, you know, if you, you play ball enough, you start to read things. So they noticed how our return was setting up. So it was designed to go to the left. And I saw their whole line, everyone darting to their right, my left. And I was like, oh, gosh, they're going to shut it down. So I saw a same backside that I was going to try to hit. And Obviously, that, that seam closed up just as quick as it opened. And uh, took my first shot. Someone hit me, and I bounced off. And sports is a funny thing. And a lot of, I, I thought I was just the only one. But actually, I remember vividly being in that predicament, getting hit, talking to myself, saying that I needed to get some more yards so my special teams coordinator wouldn't cuss me out as bad because he he had a very strong command of the English language and he knew how to tear you down in that meeting room on film day. So I'm literally getting hit saying I need to get more yards so I don't get cussed out as bad. And one thing led to another. I broke free. Um, I saw one of my teammates, Robert Thomas, coming across. And I said, oh, this is see me. If I can cut back behind him, I might be golden, then the kicker comes up, and then that's a cardinal sin. You never get tackled by the kicker. You never get run down from behind. You never get tackled one-on-one in the open field. Those are like those cardinal sins of a running back or anyone running the ball. So there was no way the kicker was going to tackle me. And once I got past him, it was stay in bounds because I know ain't nobody going to catch me once I break free. And that's essentially what happened with that return. I went the wrong way. I didn't want to get cussed out too bad. And I ended up breaking past their defenses and finding my way to the end zone. Would you say that's your favorite play? No, it was a fun one. I, I don't even know how to rate those plays. I get that question asked a lot, but maybe because it was my I was in a practice squad prior to that game and that was my first game in and they actually called me up from the practice squad that week to return kick so that was my first game because I'm out scored in the preseason as well but that was my first regular season 
game that I played in and I was able to score my – so I guess I could put that up there. First regular season game in the NFL, I scored a touchdown. So we could say that. That is pretty remarkable. Do you have any other ones that were in mind if it's not that one? I guess sticking with this first theme, I remember back in college um, in 99 mm-hmm. when Street goes down after breaking his collarbone against, in, against North Carolina and coming in and having my first rushing and passing touchdown in the same game, you know, essentially being my first game that was real-life football. And I say real-life because typically when I was coming in, it was because we were up ahead or down and they just wanted to preserve Street for the next game. So, as they call it, mop-up duty. But it was actually we were down a couple of scores, and then we were able to lead our team back to victory. Coming off the bench was uh, pretty special. That is special. Um, my I think one of my last questions would just be, what is your advice if you could sit down and give Dabo some actual advice about you know you need to either use the nil or not use the nil or how to go about you know how we've kind of been. St- struggling for a Clemson standard recently, what would you, what would, how would you uh, advise the team? I I don't think I would, I don't know. Cause I don't know all the inner workings, but I know coach Sweeney is a believer and I'm a believer as well. So my advice to him would always be players first, you know, well, I'll back up with it, with the, with the players in mind, trust the spirit of the living God to lead and guide you in directing these young men. You know, that that would be my advice to him because I mean when you when you start listening to all the outside noise, you can really quickly wind up somewhere because you can wind up somewhere you don't want to be and someplace you definitely don't have control of because you have not shaped the you have not shaped the um the path or the journey. So just for me, I would just tell him to continue to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he guides these young men in the area of developing as students, then as athletes, and soon to be um, citizens of this world. So that would be my advice to him. As your football career uh, came to a close, did you have any anxiety about what was next for you, or did you always just put your faith in God and know it was going to work out? Or how did that transition go, and was it smooth for you? I wouldn't – well, from the outside looking in, it was smooth, all because, as you mentioned, I am one of the – I'm kind of a – for most of my life, I've been a easygoing kind of guy, not too much going to rattle me. Even if I didn't know what was going to happen or what I was going to do, I just always knew it was going to work out. A lot of times to my detriment when I didn't do something I know I should have done or didn't give a, enough effort or as, as much as I should. But just this confidence that I have, again, in, in my creator that all things will work out. But as I grew, I began to see the callings and my giftings coming into play and where to insert them. So the transition for me wasn't as bad because I wasn't that individual where sports was my life. So when I left football, I left football. And people said, would you still, would you want to play now? And no, I'm good. I, I don't want to play no more. So I was never that just trying to stay in, in the game of football, you know, because I couldn't let it go because I didn't know what else to do. So for me, it was a smooth transition into the work field. I took some good advice. Someone told me about, you know, um, 
sales. I've essentially been in sales since I've gotten out of the league. But from that, really branching into my gifts of speaking and, and mentoring and really getting in, digging into the community to help the next generation become all they can be because so many have poured into me to allow me to stand where I'm standing today. So I just want to return the favor. You got any more questions or no? Um, just one of my last ones. Um, obviously, people always talk about uh, the 2000, 1000. Uh, you hold 50 records. Like, th this is that's only one of 50. Are there any ones that you're most proud of, whether, like you said, it's it's a team accomplishment because that kind of seems like that's who you are and less individual. Um, but what would be your, your proudest impact you left on the Clemson community or Clemson's football? You know what? have no idea because I don't even know what those records are other than that 2000, 1000. And um, I don't know. And that's one of the, I guess being a trivia question isn't bad because the distinction of that is the fact that up until that point, no one in NCAA history has done it. So essentially it's not a record. It's a mark. It's a trivia. It's a trivia question, really, when you look at it. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty overwhelmed by that. But as far as those things, you know, I don't even know what they are. I mean, darn, if you actually look at it now, yeah, I had over 50 some records, but most of them gone now with those cats that have come through here lately and rightfully so, because records are made to be broken. And that just shows you the evolution of the game. But no, nah, none that stand out to me other than that one, just being able to say, hey, I set the mark. But then if you look at let's 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 be real, because after that, now you see, I think it was Vince Young first. He did 3,000 and 1,000. I think Deshaun did 4,000 and 1,000. So, again, yeah, I, I set that mark because of the train is the first time that had happened in NCAA history. But since then, you have got to really obliterate that mark, being the 3,000 and 1,000 with Vince Young and then Deshaun Washington doing the 4,000 and 1,000. So, um, correct. Do stat check me. I need to call. Where's Tim Murray when you need him? But I think it was Vince Young and then it was. Um, Deshaun Watson, but but again, those things are again. You see, you you show people that it can be done, and it gives them the confidence to come in and be their true, authentic selves, and then their light can shine um, as the as the next generation comes up. So for me, that's what it was about: just being able to open that door to say, "Oh, it can be done." Like one of my favorite sayings: "And everything was impossible until someone done it." Did did it? It's a good one. Um, speaking of guys like Deshaun and Trevor being a quarterback and those guys also being men of faith as well, did you have any kind of relationship when those guys were here on campus with them? I did. Yeah, I, I try to – I stick pretty closely to to a lot of the guys as much as possible can, you know, because, again, like I said, a lot of them now, they used to, the guys used to be just in this region, but you, barring Deshaun and, and Trevor because they're coming from Georgia – but you got guys coming from all over the country now and letting them know they got a, I like to let them know they got a home away from home. So even though they are on campus, Hey, they need to get away. I got an extra room. You know, you can come get away, relax. I don't, you ain't got to talk to me. If you want to go in and shut the door and just be away, then be away. Cause sometimes they just need that. You need to get away from the hustle and bustle of college sometimes. So I like to offer that to some of the guys. All right, you're all ready for the end? Yeah. Uh -oh. so, 
at the end of <laughs> at the end of each podcast, we kind of do this this funny little thing. Um, so McLean he gives a hypothetical question out every every week. It's different. Manning usually um, does something dumb during the week, that be locking his keys in the car, or sometimes he tells funny stories of his roommates. Um, and then I give a hot take. So we'll go around and uh, do of our things. And you can either, if you did something dumb, tell us. If you got a good hypothetical, tell us. If you got a hot take, by all means, let us know. I guess okay. I'll lead it here. Um, so my dumb thing of the week is this. So I actually just thought of it. So I don't know if y'all are familiar with it, but um, the Pepto-Bismol that comes in a bottle. Oh, God. Um, so it's, it's Where is this going? The pink, the pink fluid. Well, there's tablets too. So this is the bottle. Um, because it's important because um it's I keep it underneath my sink. And um I guess it was a week ago. There's really no long, there's no telling how long ago this happened, but I spilled it and I didn't realize. And so I look under my sink the other day to get uh my next thing a deodorant, and there's so it, it like hardens around your stomach to like I guess ease the the stomach acid and everything. So my entire, I have a, a thing of Pepto, of dried up Pepto-Bismol that's the exact diameters of my, of the, underneath my sink. So that's my dumb thing. Oh my God. And that's it. So it is what it is. Fine. Hypothetical. <laughs> that's actually insane. It's a hard, like if you pick it up. Yeah, no, no, it's stiff. Like it, it, it hardens. Wow. You're not me. Um. Yeah, so my hypothetical isn't as much of a hypothetical. Usually when we have athletes on here, I like to ask them, you know, if you could play any other sport professionally, what would you want to play? And if there was one that, you know, say you just want to play golf, but you think you would be best at basketball, what would that also be? Oh, that's what you're asking me? Hmm. What was I saying now? That you asked me that's what you're asking me if there's another sport would I play? Yep. You're saying what you, you know think, what? What sport you think you would be best at? And if that's not the same as Which what play? sport would you like want to play if you got to choose? Oh um, um, you know what? I always flirt around with the idea of I would have stuck with baseball. I played baseball for one practice because when I was in high school I ran track, track and football. That was kind of the norm. But my officer coordinator was the baseball coach, and he had been trying to get me to come play baseball. So he wanted me, he said, hey, just come out of practice today, and all you got to do is pitch. You don't got to hit. You don't got to play the field. I just want you to come pitch. Just come, just come on out. Let's throw the ball over the plate a little bit. Let's see how you do. Went out there, and he kind of showed me how to do it, taught me through it. And, you know, I was feeling, I was feeling pretty good. Um, throwing the ball over the plate. Got good with the technique. And um, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. And I came home and I, I say it was a sign, but I wish I would have called it a sign. But they were doing a special for some reason that night on pitchers who were hit by the pitch. So you got one guy who lost his eye, another guy nose is broken, he can't smell no more. And it was just crazy. And I went back the, the next day. And I told Coach, I'm like, hey, I'm a run track. I'm not messing with baseball. So especially, <laughs> especially since I got this little, uh, I guess, burning desire to play softball now, because I actually can bat both ends. I actually bat better left-handed than I do right-handed. So I'm, I get every now and then I get curious 
what would have happened if I was stuck with baseball. There's probably some softball leagues in this area that you can – they still – they do, like, grown men softball leagues and stuff. But that's yeah, I just missed the cutoff at the Y. I came out and I saw the – I saw the um the posters, like, today's the last day to sign up for softball. And I said, okay, I'll sign up when I get finished with my workout. And I end up going home and remember the next morning. So I guess that could be my dumb thing for the week. <laughs> I um remember the next morning that I was supposed to sign up for softball, but it was too late. That's funny. Rob, you got a hot take? Yeah, so <clears throat> it's also sports-related. Um, I think now it's about soccer, and obviously soccer I think is one of the most sustainable games in all of the world, meaning it's just not really evolved at all since its beginning. And I think that as we see here in America, it's really gaining a lot of popularity and it's just going to go exponentially up with the World Cup. I think by the time we die, the greatest soccer player of all time will be an American because of just our athletes that we produce. I mean, it's evident in every single Olympics, whether it's winter or summer, we put the best athletes out, male or female. And I think that, I mean, the GOAT soccer player for women is already American. But for men's, it, it's not. And I think by the time we die, it'll be an American. That's a hot take. I like that, though. Yeah. Now, 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 I'm going to need you to qualify that. When you say American, I guess, hmm, how can I say this? I don't want to get y'all in trouble. But someone who's American, was born over here, they don't have a, like, an, like let's say, an Asian American. He's born over here. It's someone who's, who has Asian descent. He's born over here. But, you know, his lineage is from Asia. You know, would that qualify? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's more like it's if you're born to be an American, you're you're born in America. We're all – that's the thing about America where it's a mixing pot. We're all from everywhere. Um, okay. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah. More, that's part of the reason why we are so good. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's more you're an American in the sense of you're born here, less of that's where your heritage is from. Gotcha. That's what I wanted to clarify. I want to make sure everybody know when they see it, they, they don't want to try to discredit. Just, I didn't want them to discredit your hot take because I figured that's what you meant. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. come, well, you, you, didn't, you didn't specify, so that don't really count. You know? No, no, no. I just want you to get your credit when it happens. But you're exactly right. And I, it kind of goes back to what I was saying early on, coming from South Carolina to Clemson, South Carolina, and coming and being introduced to a whole new world. Man. And that's what America is. you got a whole new world over here of different people. That make uh, that make such beautiful memories. So yeah, I like that too. You got a hot take to send us off, or are you gonna stick with your your why dumb thing? <laughs> um, I don't have a hot take, but um, I, I'll I'll just add this in. Since we're talking about soccer, I will. There's a little guy uh, that introduced me to soccer, getting back in it, and also adding to my thing of meeting new people. Uh, this little guy named, um, what is it, Felipe, was from Brazil. Mm -hmm. And just in Vickery Hall, getting out, meeting different people, and we kind of had a, um, started up a relationship. And then finally one day he got, I decided to go watch him play. And my goodness, to watch what that little five-foot, Poor little dude 
could do what a soccer ball got me hooked. I still don't really understand the rules of the game, but just to watch the skill set of those guys, what they could do with a soccer ball and how they just run forever. I mean, it was just so impressive. And um, yeah, that's why I'm, I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan. Now I actually got a chance when I was playing NFL Europe to actually watch a soccer game um, live over in Europe. So they say you haven't watched a soccer game until you watch one over there. So you got to experience that firsthand. True. Well, Woody, we really appreciate your time today. It was super incredible interviewing you, and we uh, wish you the best in the rest of your endeavors, and we, again, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate the invite. I definitely appreciate spending time with you all. You guys are awesome. Yes, Keep sir. doing what you're doing. Yes, sir. <laughs>